Readers Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Hello, everyone. It's a new week. Can you believe it? Time is just flying by. But I hope wherever you are that you are starting to get back out there and spring has sprung, the flowers are blooming, and we are looking way into the future today with sci-fi writer Edward M. Lerner. I can't wait for you to meet him. If you haven't read his books yet, I will go ahead and read his bio here so you can get to know him. So Edward M. Lerner worked in high-tech and aerospace for 30 years as everything from an engineer to senior vice president for much of that time writing sci-fi as his hobby. Since 2004, he has written full-time. His novels range from near-future techno-thrillers like Small Miracles and Energized to futuristic mysteries like The Company Man to such traditional sci-fi adventure fare as Dark Secret and his Interstellar Net series. Collaborating with Larry Niven, Lerner also wrote the space opera epic Fleet of Worlds series of Ringworld companion novels. His 2015 novel, Interstellar Net Enigma, won the inaugural, inaugural, oh, it's Monday, I really can read, Canopus Award, honoring excellence in interstellar writing. His fiction has also been nominated for Locus, Prometheus, and Hugo Awards. In shorter forms, Lerner's writing has appeared in anthologies, collections, and many of the usual sci-fi magazines and websites. He also writes about sci-fi and technology um, on his website, and I did put a link to the website right there on the Blog Talk site. So if you're listening live or if you're listening later, you can click that link anytime and go check out. All, he has so much content on his website that you should definitely see. Uh, also a blog with um, some insight for writers and doing that elevator pitch and that kind of thing. So I don't want to delay any longer. Edward M., are you there? I am. Good to talk Thank to you, you Lisa. Thank you so much. Yeah, good to talk to you, too. So you have a new book that is debuting tomorrow, right? Deja Doomed. Do you want to tell everybody why they should grab that? Oh, I certainly do. I so want to do it. It made me momentarily <laughs> tongue-tied. Okay, Deja Doomed is a near-future adventure. It's at mostly on the moon. Our intrepid explorers come upon artifacts left behind by ancient alien visitors. You just know nothing good can come of poking around ancient alien technology, <laughs> even if the nov- even if the title weren't déjà doomed. <laughs> that is very true. And I was reading the blurb for the book, and I was getting you know those tingly feelings of the alien movies, you know, when you find what's this, and you poke at it. Um, did you have any of those kind of inklings when you were writing this book? Well, yeah, I also had the horror movie vibe in mind. Uh, You know, when you poke at something new and strange, uh, something bad's going to happen. Don't go into the basement by yourself. (laughs) But even though I mentioned the, the, the horror vibe, this is most definitely science fiction. I did a lot of research using the documentation from the Apollo missions and the research NASA is doing these days on going back to the moon later this decade, hopefully. 
Also, some of the research that uh, is being done by private aerospace companies like SpaceX. So uh, I had a heck of a lot of fun uh, getting uh, this done. But I'm not going to say too yeah. much about the details of the doom. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we don't want to give any spoilers. Um, I I wondered too about the all of the the moon landings and and that kind of thing. When you're going through and researching that, did you find any nuggets that maybe we don't know about the the moon landings, about things they found up there? I can't say there was anything shocking. There were certainly details that uh, were new to me. Uh, just a bit of color figuratively and literally, you know, when you see pictures of the moon uh, mm -hmm. close up, everything is always gray. But it turns out uh, green can also happen. It doesn't happen oh. often, but there are little bits of volcanic glass and little bits of glass that are from melt after the shock of meteorite hits. So, uh, uh, that's that surprised me. It's not earth shattering or even moon shattering, but uh, I found it interesting. <laughs> I did yeah, not find that, that uh, it was that the landings were all shot in the back lot in Hollywood. What? What? They really went to the moon? Go figure. <laughs> wow. Well, when they um, when they go back to the moon, do you think that they're well, I guess not, do you think? Did you find out anything? Is there new research? Why are we going to go back to the moon? Is there more to discover there, do you think? Certainly there is. And the Apollo missions was nothing but a footprint and flag mission. You know, plant the flag, take pictures of a few boot prints, declare victory, go yan, yan, yan to the Russians because they weren't there, <laughs> and then go home. There is a ton we don't understand about how the moon even came to be. Before the Apollo missions, there were just several competing theories and no way to pick between them. With some of the rocks that were brought back from the Apollo missions, there is a current favored theory how the moon formed, but there are some loose ends about that, too. Um Quite aside from scientific curiosity, the, the main reason to go back is the moon has resources that can be used for further space exploration. Say we want to go to oh. Mars. Uh, mm -hmm. Lifting anything out of uh, Earth's gravity well is very expensive. You tend to carry fuel to carry fuel to carry fuel to carry a payload. Well, the moon's gravity is one-sixth of Earth's gravity. And one of the more recent discoveries about uh, the moon is that there's a lot of ice at the north and south poles of the moon. It's in deep craters that uh, never see the light of day. And so the ice can't melt, the ice can't sublimate. Well, that ice can be turned into hydrogen for fuel and oxygen to burn the fuel. So
So if you want to go to Mars, one of the ways to cut the cost, manufacture your fuel on the moon and uh, take off from there. Wow. And you think our technology is, is close to being able to do that? Within the next uh, 10 years or so, we could do it. Do I think it'll happen that fast? No. (laughs) Wow. So the moon could become like an interstellar gas station, sort of. Well, at least interplanetary. (laughs) I love it. Very cool. So... (laughs) So I was going to, this kind of dovetails into what I was going to ask about your love of sci-fi. What what drew you to write that? It sounds like your whole career and everything was gauged toward that. I mean, did you watch a space thing when you were a kid or read a comic and go, oh, my gosh, I'm going to go to space someday? Or, you know, what what lit that fire for you for sci-fi? Okay. I can't remember when I wasn't interested in science and space. So I was eight years old when Sputnik launched. So your listeners can figure out how ancient I am. And (laughs) I was in college when the lunar landings happened. So I've been immersed in this uh, my childhood and entire adult life. I can't remember when I didn't read science fiction. At the neighborhood library, they gave up very early on discouraging me from browsing books in the adult section because there wasn't a lot of sci-fi in the kids section. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, did, did you always imagine you would write it? Not really. When I was in college, I wrote my first uh, short story, sent it off, got my first rejection letter, and was so traumatized I didn't try it again for decades. Oh, but no. uh, eventually I got over that. Uh, I was complaining about uh, something I was reading, and my wife said, so I suppose you could do better, better at which point I had no choice. <laughs> I love it. So your your writing journey then um, how long did it take you to get a novel published after that? Did you get a lot more rejection letters? Your skin thickened up and you were ready for more? <laughs> okay. Well, it was decades later before I uh, tried again. Uh, when I finished my first novel, it did take a couple of years to sell. And uh, interestingly, some of the characters in the novel worked for NASA and the When I wrote the book, I had no NASA connections, whatever. But by the time I sold the book and it came out, I was working for a NASA contractor. Oh, wow. That's amazing. uh, And that turned out to provide a lot of the background for a second novel. And it's when I sold the second novel that I decided, okay, the first one wasn't a fluke. Maybe I can do this (laughs) full time. I love it. Ah, and what was your biggest surprise, do you think, when you when you sold that book from what you thought, you know, writing would be? I my my husband's always quick to remind me when I'm complaining about edits or something about that, you know, welcome to your dream. Um <laughs> what was a big surprise to you about the whole publishing process once you finally sold your book? 
that often authors don't get a whole lot of say in the production process. Some publishers are much more author-friendly than others. Right. Yeah, sometimes my current publisher is absolutely a prince. So this is not meant to uh, be a criticism of him. That's uh, Shahid uh, Mahmoud at uh, Ark Manor, and he is just a wonderful guy to work with. Oh, I love it! I love hearing about good good publishers. (laughs) They do have so do it's it's sadly it's sometimes rare but they really do and i love now that there are so many options for authors because you can be hybrid and you can put something out yourself or you can find a publisher there's lots of different paths which is really nice to get the stories out it is nice to have flexibility yes so when I was poking around on your website, I was I started jotting down things because you have written so many different types of, you know, sci-fi type things. And you have nanotech and space and time travel and Armageddon and aliens. Is, is there any other part of, of sci-fi that you would love to write in that you haven't yet? You have an idea I haven't done much with alternate history. I've, oh, uh, done some stuff at story length, but no complete alternate history novels. Oh, okay. Do you and have an idea I, percolating? In the back of my mind, yeah. Ah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I've done a lot first. with the moon, and <laughs> so I thought before too long I'd move on and start setting stuff on Mars. Oh, nice. Somewhere Ray Bradbury is smiling. (laughs) Yes. Although neither Bradbury nor Burroughs, who, of course, are the most associated with Mars, except for maybe Andy Weir, uh, has a very realistic Mars. Oh, well, that's true. I won't have any six-armed green Martians running around waving swords. (laughs) What? I, I'm disappointed. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so that would be quite the alternate ask, history, right? Right. So I wanted to ask that the alien whole alien thing. Now that the military has declassified that UFOs, they really don't know what they are. Has that? Sparked your, you know, are you excited about that? Are you following those stories? What do you think they are? I've followed it to the extent of knowing that supposedly there's a big report forthcoming. I don't think the report is actually out yet. We've just had teasers. Right. We've had those pictures and videos. Yeah. I certainly look forward to reading more and having more to go on than just very grainy videos, which sort of remind me of the grainy videos of uh, Sasquatch. Right it's now, a, I'm content to believe thing. that identi- unidentified means unidentified. It doesn't mean alien visitors. Oh, okay. Uh, if so the uh, way, it does the turn out we've had alien means- visitors, uh, certainly I would find that intriguing. <laughs> well, and I was thinking about it, too, when all those videos were coming out. Um I feel like I know um, 
I got to meet Ray Bradbury a couple times before he passed away, and he was very passionate about, you know, space and, and futuristic things, and, and he credited sci-fi for bringing us a bunch of inventions because people dreamed that they were possible, and then other people thought, well, I wonder if I could make it, and they would make it, and that kind of thing. Have you dreamt up things? I know you keep really good tabs on, you know, where technology is going, but have you ever written something where you're like, they could make this and, you know, that you're hoping will become a real thing someday? The one thing that uh, I came up with, which is a form of time travel, would be really keen, but it's far, far from anything uh, within reasonable reach. Oh, okay. So so I am stuck with uh, going to the future at one second per second with the rest of you. <laughs> what? <laughs> you haven't made flying cars? No, and the fact of the matter is there are so many bad drivers out there in two dimensions, I don't want to think about what would happen <laughs> with three. Right. If we had flying cars, it would be really terrifying. <laughs> I had an author on once who writes sci-fi, and he was talking about the danger to pedestrians on the ground if we had flying cars, because he said you wouldn't be able to go outside without looking up going, oh, God, a car. and I had never thought about that, but the traffic accidents would be above you. <laughs> Yeah, you know, when you drive through the mountains, you'll see these signs, beware of falling rocks, you know, because they might come down the slope. At least then, right. you know, it's only when you're passing through a mountain pass. Just imagine if you needed signs every three feet, beware of falling cars. Right. <laughs> yes. Would An umbrella wouldn't protect you from that. <laughs> no, it would not. <laughs> So I always ask sci-fi when they come on. I am pretty sure that I know your answer, but I have to ask anyway. Are you a Star Trek or Star Wars type, or do you like them both? What, which, which camp do you lean into? I lean more towards Star Trek, which is more science fiction, whereas Star right. Wars is more science fantasy. The whole right. business with the Force Yes, the midi-chlorians. <laughs> Which is something like mitochondria, only different. Okay, that's obscure biology humor. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, that goes with your nanotechnology, right? It does. <laughs> yeah, nanotech is one of those technologies that, uh, if it ever really happens, will just change everything. I've heard that they are making, um, you know, strides toward toward that kind of thing. Um, it will be interesting if it comes, you know, as big as people think. As big as people think. Somehow in the context of nano, that's uh, very uh, oxymoronic. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. The thing about uh, current progress in nanotech is it tends to be at the level of materials. So, yes, if you have a control of matter at atomic or molecular levels, you can make 
super strong, super light materials, and that's great. And you can improve uh, solar cells, and that's great. But the kinds of things that uh, science fiction writers like requires nanoscale machinery and nanoscale computers. So my novel, Small Miracles, is involved with nanobots that do first aid in the human body. If you have, um, say, internal injuries, the nanobots swim towards where your internal bleeding is and point disperse uh, coagulant uh, to keep you from bleeding to death. Now, of course, it being a novel, something has to go horribly, horribly wrong, but uh, yeah. <laughs> that's what novelists do. That's right. We make nanobots suddenly become sentient, right? <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Little murderous nanobots. <laughs> yeah, now in the case of uh, my medical nanotech book, I happened to set that in a town in upstate New York where I had worked for a few years. Um, it, in some respects, was not a happy experience. And so the story is largely set in uh, a company factory, which is a very thinly disguised version of where I worked. And I took great glee in all the horrible things that happened there. It was very uh, cathartic. Yes, a cathartic process. <laughs> so have you ever written a book where you added some technology that sort of scared you that, wow, if we ever got Because I always think about that with time travel. I always think how dangerous time travel would be if we ever actually figured it out, you know, that people could go back and change history and, and, you know, if the wrong people got in a time machine, what would happen and that kind of thing. So time travel always sort of scares me, but have you dabbled in things where you're writing the book and you're like, Whew, this would be really scary if somebody could make this happen. Yeah, I think it's happened uh, a few times. I've come up with ideas about which I thought, no, I'm not going to write about that because I don't want to give people any ideas because this really could happen. <laughs> In the case of time travel, oh. I'm not too concerned. Yeah, you don't think we're going to get a time machine anytime soon? No time soon. Uh, you mentioned <laughs> in the intro that I also write uh, popular science. And... Uh, in my book, Troping the Light Fantastic, The Science Behind the Fiction, I actually have a couple long chapters on time travel. General relativity provides a couple of loopholes by which it's possible in a limited sense to do certain kinds of time travel, but uh, the cost and the uh, energy requirements to do it is just phenomenal. So I... I think for the near future, we don't need to worry about time travel as anything but a story device. Okay. Well, that settles me a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> what it's about like faster than light travel. travel. <laughs> it's just a shared delusion among science fiction authors. <laughs> Do you think that there could be alien life out there? Could there be? Absolutely. Is there? Well, we don't know. 
but uh, it's an awfully big universe. So personally, I'd be shocked, but I can't say that I have any basis for believing it. What we do know about biology is seemingly every possible niche on Earth supports life of some kind or other, you know, deep underground. Right. Uh, thermal vents at the bottom of the ocean and high up in the stratosphere. And that's encouraging, but that just tells us that once life happens, it's very adaptable. We still don't have any decent theories, much less proof of how life came about in the first place. Right. That big bang or whatever. The the biological equivalent, yeah. So uh, how many... Uh, unlikely events had to happen at once for uh, life to happen, or maybe they're all likely events. And once we look a few other places, we'll know. You know, we talked about going to Mars. Is there was there life on Mars? Mars used to have conditions similar to Earth when life began here. Um, there are moons of Jupiter and Saturn that have liquid oceans. And various things keep those oceans warm enough to stay liquid. Could there be life in the oceans of Enceladus or Europa? Uh, we won't know until we look. Right, right. And then they'll be going, hey, there's some aliens over here. And we'll be the aliens. <laughs> yes, well, the Martians are probably really mad at us for littering. I mean, three robots right. just in the last few months. Dumping these things here. <laughs> so I I don't know if you're a movie person, but do you have some favorite sci-fi movies that you like to watch that inspire you? I do have some. I enjoyed and, uh, The Martian, made from Andy Weir's novel. I oh, really I liked The Abyss which, as the name suggests, takes place underwater but also has aliens. Um, I love the uh, Alien and Terminator franchises. Yes. That's the I scary like, time traveling. Don't time yes. travel. <laughs> I like every other Star Trek movie. <laughs> the even-numbered ones are good. Beware the odd-numbered okay, ones. Okay, the even. <laughs> even-numbered Star Trek. Got it. <laughs> Are there, um, now that we are binge-watching shows and things and they're putting out more and more of them, have you seen any sci-fi shows that we should all be watching? Sure. Well, I just recently binged on seasons one and two of For All Mankind on Apple+. Plus. That's oh. an alternate history in which the Russians beat the United States to the moon by a couple of weeks. And... Oh, the divergence wow. in history takes off from there. I recently rewatched the Sarah Connor Chronicles, which is set in the uh, the Terminator, Terminator universe. universe right? That's a great series, and I'm still bitter that they didn't continue it because it ended with a great season cliffhanger that became a terrible series ender. Oh no, they're and, not going to continue uh, it. On, on Netflix, there's a great time travel series called Travelers. 
I didn't know that the Sarah Connor Chronicles weren't getting continued. Dang. Alas, no. Sadness. Okay. Well, that's yeah. a bummer. <laughs> yes, but this this is a good uh, era on uh, TV for uh, science fiction lovers. Yes. Have you watched? Um, it, it's very fantastic, less sci-fi, but the Umbrella Academy is fantastic with all the options of, you know, people who control time travel and control the timeline. So anyway, if you haven't watched it, it's very bizarre, but really interesting concept um, with some interesting people with superpowers who were all born the same day. So anyway. Well, I haven't watched it, but bizarre is good. Yeah. Yeah. You might really enjoy it. Definitely worth, worth watching. (laughs) <laughs> okay, and who streams well, that one? Um, that one is on Netflix, and they just cleared okay. it for a third season. So you can go through those two seasons and go, okay, I'm getting one more. But it's very interesting, okay. and the concept is, is neat. So cool. before we run out of time, um, how do readers get in touch with you? Are you on Facebook? Do you like to get emails? Do you have a newsletter? How should they get in touch? Okay. Well, there are several options. I am on Facebook as Edward M. Lerner, and it's Edward M. with the period Lerner if you just want authorial news and not my taste in cartoons or pictures of my grandchildren. (laughs) I'm on LinkedIn as Edward M. Lerner. My website, cleverly, is edwardmlerner.com. In all cases, by the way, Lerner is L-E-R-N-E-R. And I've got a Google group. Uh, for an occasional oh, okay. newsletter. Great. And, everyone, of course, there's always head, uh, Amazon. Yes, for sure. So everyone head over to Edward's, um, uh, I wanted to say newsletter, but I meant your website, because on the website is a link so that you can go and pre-order Deja Doomed. It comes out tomorrow. I can't wait to read it. And definitely, you know, Alien Vibes. So everyone go out and grab that book. And thanks so much for being here, Edward. It was so much fun chatting with you. Thank you, Lisa. I enjoyed it too. See you later. Thanks for joining us on Book Lights. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.